Did you get that? I'm so Also, ich verstehe nur Bahnhof. You only understand train station? It's all Greek to me. Understanding train station. Living between cultures with Josh and Feli. Welcome back to a new episode of Understanding Train Station. I'm Feli. Welcome back, everyone. And I'm Josh. And I think actually a good way for us to start at this point is uh, in our last episode, it was a Q&A and questions continued to come in afterwards. And one of the questions was, who is the voice that does the Understanding Train Station uh, intro? Yeah. Uh, and it's actually one of my old co-workers who's also a buddy of mine. And yeah, we just asked him if he would be willing to record it. So I remember sitting up in the old office uh, at your old place and recording yeah. that. So. Yeah, um, that was so, a while ago. That was almost two years ago. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, that was in the midst of the pandemic and everything. Was it? I mean, yeah, it was 2020. But didn't we, we started this before the pandemic? Did we not? Uh-uh. No. Oh, shoot. We started the podcast <laughs> in October of 2020. <laughs> maybe we had the idea. Like, okay, maybe we had some planning sessions before. But I think this was all throughout 2020. But also, I think that maybe at the time, we thought the pandemic was already pretty much over. <laughs> That's also possible. <laughs> like, because like, you know, summer and fall of 2020, maybe True. already to mm -hmm. us felt kind of like, oh, yeah, well, we're like half a year in. It's almost done with. And then who could have known? Well, a lot of expert actually, experts actually knew, but <laughs> I, we I, were just at the beginning. <laughs> I won't be too hard on myself. A lot has changed in my life since when we started this podcast. So. Yeah, for sure. I know. I mean, also in yours, but... Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was just to answer the one question and give us a little bit of a bridge and... Uh, oh my gosh. Give us a little bit of a bridge? Who says that? It doesn't even make sense. Uh, there was a little bit of a segue into this episode compared to last week. Yeah, I have my cat chewing on my cable here right now. You cannot do this. I'm recording a podcast episode. And also, um, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I have a surprise for you. I finally have something on my wall. Um, my birthday present for my roommates and some friends here in Munich finally came. Um, so I decided to put it up on my wall. So slowly nice. but so, surely, my room is coming together after living here for over a year now. Show us again. Uh, yes. It's, it says tacos and I see a taco. So I, I think that's pretty fitting because I know you love tacos. I don't know if we've ever mentioned that on the episode, but uh, on the podcast. I don't think we have. Maybe Josh when loves we tacos. <laughs> so it's a good fit. Very and of course, so. the like Mexican connection there too. For sure. You can't see the other Mexican things that I have in my room, but I definitely have a few souvenirs from my trip that I made to Mexico last winter. Yeah. You did talk about that trip on the podcast, right? At some I point. I think so. I hope so. If not, we're going to have to make an episode about that. But I think you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. It's possible. At some point. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but okay, well, what's what's new besides the decoration? So there were some comments made on the last video by me and then also in the comments section about the heat, right? And how I was missing, uh, it didn't feel like summer because it wasn't warm enough. Yeah. Okay, Germany, I get it. It's warm enough now. <laughs> I am in a constant state of sweating. Uh, today in Munich isn't too bad, but yesterday we had it was 34 degrees Celsius, which I think is like 85 maybe um, in Fahrenheit. I think that's what it was when I looked it up. But you have to consider that we don't have air conditioning in most of the places. So mm -hmm. sitting in 85 degree weather uh, without air conditioning is not fun. So yeah. That's new for sure is I'm ready for nice summer weather, but not too hot. So I'm looking for the Goldilocks zone. 
<laughs> I told you that last time too. I said there is a heat wave coming towards Germany. Well, not just Germany, all of Europe, which is actually not that funny because a lot of yeah. places are really struggling hard with this. I think Munich actually, um, even though you're complaining right now, which I mean, you yeah. get to complain, um, but I think Munich is actually um, very lucky with the heat wave because the yeah. weather is relatively mild there compared to other places in Germany where I think the temperatures have gone above 40 degrees Celsius. Wow. So that's very, very hot. I'm going to have to look up real quick what that is in yeah, Fahrenheit. It's a, it's a little <laughs> bit of a mechanalform niveau, you know? Yeah. How, do you, how would right you now. say that in, in English? Uh, I don't know. Complaining from a privileged position, but that doesn't yeah. sound... It's, it's not like a saying per se in English that I can think of. Okay. So mechanalform niveau literally would be like complaining on a high... Level, yeah. that doesn't really make sense either. But that's what that means. Um, so 41 degrees Celsius would be 106 Fahrenheit. So that's very, very hot. Yeah, I know. Especially there, for Germany. There, obviously, it wasn't in Germany, but I was reading an article. I think it was in Spain or Portugal that um, some garbage man or a garbage man actually died um, mm -hmm. from being out in the heat and like those polyester suits that they wear. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely dangerous. But um, here in Munich, luckily, it's not... So hot that it's particularly dangerous, but just uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm sure that the German weather is going to go back to being all shitty in August <laughs> or probably in September when I'm going to come back home to Germany. Probably. But sometimes sometimes in September, it actually gets nice again. Mm -hmm. um, like around Oktoberfest is kind of like the second summer wave sometimes. But I mean, for me, growing up in Munich, like our summer break in Bavaria usually starts about now. So like I think mm -hmm. school kids in Bavaria have like a few more days of school and then by the end of this week they their summer break starts, which is only yeah. six weeks there. Um, and I kind of remember most of my summer breaks it just being rainy and like cold for most of the summer break where it's like, great, thanks so much weather. Really appreciate oh, it. <laughs> no, I'm glad that was not my experience as a child at all. Yeah, but that's also kind of why Germans travel a lot during the yeah. summer because you can't really rely on that. So you have to make sure that you book something in a beach town or in some southern country where you can have a summer weather for sure. Um, but yeah, with me, what's new? So we got carpet installed yesterday. Ooh, that's still exciting. Still haven't built the closet, as you can see, but um, that bedroom is coming along pretty nicely. We... I don't know how many people are interested in this kind of stuff. <laughs> I was never interested in this before, but like now that we have this place, I really like like creating the spaces. And so we started a um, barnwood ship lap accent wall. <laughs> a bunch of bunch of. <laughs> you words sound like such all... a. You sound like such a homeowner now. <laughs> yeah, but like um, it looks really cool. We we wanted to do this for because we created this bedroom completely new and we wanted to have like a really nice wall in the, the the back where the bed comes against and it's dark blue and it's you know we're DIYing it so we're doing it ourselves mm -hmm. and it's a lot of work and it's halfway done so um, today after I'm done working we're gonna finish that up and then our bed is being delivered tomorrow so that's Very kind of exciting. my life right now is like work and then all of that adult stuff that is actually a lot of fun if you just like hang out for hours and paint stuff and nail it onto the wall and kind of look up youtube tutorials i really enjoy that and then in the end if you get it right it looks really amazing and then you can be feel very accomplished yeah. so yeah no i love that type of hands-on stuff because you definitely get like a warm fuzzy afterwards like oh i did that and it looks good yeah. and hopefully yeah. it looks good and if not <laughs> you're like oh i did that and that sucks <laughs> well, time to redo can... it 
Yeah, then you can just redo it. Um, yeah. Besides that, I went to Asheville, North Carolina last week to visit the Biltmore Estate and also just like look around a little bit. We went on one hike. Um, <laughs> well, we went on two hikes also, um, which the first hike we had to stop early and turn around because it was like a smaller trail in the Smoky Mountains, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And um, there's like websites where you can rate hiking trails and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, right? Where they're kind of described and people write reviews. And we looked at the reviews before we went in. And in the last few weeks, there were a lot of reviews that said that there is a mama bear with two cubs Uh, on and around that trail. I had a feeling a bear story was going to come. And... I was like not sure if I wanted to go in there. There were also a few reviews that said there's hornets, but then a lot of other reviews said, oh, it's it's amazing. And then even the reviews that mentioned the bear didn't like still finish the trail. So yeah. <laughs> I was a little surprised about that. But then we were there and two people came out of the trail and we were like, hey, did you see any bears? Like, was there any hornets, anything? And they were like, nope, nothing. It was really nice. So we walk in and it's just the two of us, just Ben mm. and me, right? And it's like a very narrow trail where it's just very steep on both sides and Mm -hmm. woods on both sides. But you can only fit one person at a time. So like a very narrow, very secluded trail. And there was no other person anywhere. We didn't hear anyone. We didn't see anyone. And it's just very quiet, right? And we just walk in. And the reviews had said that the bear is like on the trail because it's very steep in there. So the bear uses the trail. And we just get more and more scared and like we hear a few noises that are like very loud. Where Like Ben was like, there's no other animal that lives in these mountains that would make that kind of noise. And we're yeah. like, okay. We didn't have bear spray. Um, I, that was going to be my next my, question. I brought my pepper spray. And of course, we looked up how to behave in case that we um, encountered a bear. Um, and then at some point we heard like a loud breath, like a... <sighs> And I was like, I want to turn around. And we just like both like as soon as we heard that, we both just turned around and started walking back. And like there were a few situations even walking back because we were already like 15 minutes in or so. Yeah. And then you have to walk 15 minutes back with that kind of fear, Mm -hmm. even though the bear probably wouldn't have just randomly attacked us. Like black bears are the most harmless of all bears. And usually like with these encounters, because that it happens a lot that hikers see like a black bear they don't usually mm. attack them but still I'm, I'm scared of that <laughs> especially if it's like this it was just a situation where we would have been trapped yeah like we couldn't have run down the hill because that was so steep and so full of trees and everything um so yeah we just kept walking back and like while we walked back we heard a few more noises and we were just <laughs> it felt like a horror movie even though it was like the middle of the day sunny weather in like this beautiful scenery but i was like oh my god <laughs> Even though you didn't even actually see the bear, right? We did not see the bear, but I'm pretty sure I heard it. And given like all the reviews, it I'm sure it had probable. to have yeah, it had to have been the bear because that that was very very loud breaths that we heard. Um, so yeah, that was that. And then we went on another hike that was uh, much more harmless and a lot prettier. Um, and then I saw Biltmore Estate or like the Biltmore House, mm-hmm. which is the summer house that the Vanderbilt family, which is this like super rich family mm-hmm. in the U.S., or at least they were super rich in around the turn of the century, 1900s. Yeah. Um, that they built as their like summer home, kind of based on European castles a little bit or like palaces. Um, it's kind of like one of those things that comes the closest to a European palace because obviously 
the U.S. doesn't really have those kinds of buildings. Um, so that was really cool yeah. to see that. And I mean, I've seen a lot of palaces from the inside and that one could definitely keep up but it was a lot more american and homey like, i feel like i was gonna yeah i was one I, I have never been to the to the vanderbilt or not to the vander to the biltmore um but i was wondering if you can like definitely tell a difference or if you felt for a moment yeah. like oh i could be back in europe i no, i could definitely tell a difference but i don't know if it's mainly the time that it was built because yeah. it was built obviously much later than most other palaces and castles in in germany um or if it was also just the american influence a little bit but mm -hmm. like it was very open floor plan when you walked in and okay. there was a lot of dark wood on the walls you know like more this kind of american type interior design or at least that's what i would connect it with you wouldn't see like dark wood on yeah. the inside of castles you'd see like marble and stuff like mm -hmm. that but um there was like a a pool a billiard room in the beginning and like a, a gun room and a smoking room and stuff like that that all just reminded me more of just like a mansion like yeah a, yeah it, to me that sounds like when you describe it it reminds me right i say reminds me but it makes me think of like a british estate you know like mm -hmm. yeah of like not necessarily royalty but maybe maybe like aristocracy yeah uh, exactly yeah That's kind of the feel that I got. But I mean, from the outside, it definitely looks like mm -hmm. a castle or a palace. Um, and it was it was very cool. Um, it was, of course, expensive. If you if you ever like think about visiting it and you haven't visited it, I would say like it depends. Have you been to Europe? Have you been to actual palaces? In that case, you know, you don't have to see it necessarily, I feel like. But if you've never been to anything like that, definitely check it mm -hmm. out. Um, the price, I think it was like. 80 or 90 dollars for the ticket but you did get to see a lot compared okay. to like for example neuschwanstein where the tour takes like 20 minutes or yeah. something this tour was like two hours oh wow so you got okay. to see a lot of like pretty much everything of the mm -hmm. place like even the where the staff would work the kitchen like all the behind the scenes stuff all the rooms i think so mm -hmm. yeah very cool Well, that's, those are all my updates. Yeah, there was one other update that I had. I mean, I've been in Munich this whole time, so I don't have any cool yeah. travel uh, um, topics to talk about or updates from my travels. But I was in the office uh, recently, and I learned a new German word. Okay. Um, and they, they, when I asked, because I didn't understand what it was, they're like, oh, this is a word that you have to mention in your podcast. So I told them I'd give them the shout out now. Okay. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. So tell me if I'm wrong. But uh, uh, a What was it? Shoot. <laughs> was it a Nussendusche? A Nuttendusche. Yeah. I do not know what that means. So um, I, know, I mean, I obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, go, no, go, no, you go ahead, since you're the German. What, well, Nuttendusche literally means a slut or whore or prostitute shower. It's when, so this, the context, context would be someone being sweaty and just kind of gross and putting perfume on. Okay. All right. Well, talking about royalty, I would have maybe connected that with like the old times when people like, you know, just put on like powder and perfume to kind of um, uh, hide all their odors. But okay, interesting. Yeah. No, I've never heard okay. of that. Yeah, neither had I. But yeah, it just is an interesting word. Not, probably not something I'll use in my everyday life. At Lovely. some point I'll forget, but yes. <laughs> Lovely. Well, um, if you guys want to learn a German word, um, you can obviously do so with our sponsor, Lingoda. I know that was uh, the perfect transition. Um, in case you don't know what Lingoda is, then you've 
either never listen to our podcast or you always skip this part, but uh, you should listen because they're a really cool online language school that offer classes in German, French, English, and business English, which I think is a really cool option. As I said, it's all online. So there's Zoom classes and they offer group classes, which is usually in a group of maximum five people, which is a great size to be interactive and actually learn and participate. Or you can even book private lessons with them. And their lessons are available 24-7. If you book a lesson, you can pick between all the different topics and the different levels. And as I said, it's available 24-7, which means it doesn't matter if you live in Europe or the US, you can get in a class in the morning, during lunch, at night, really whenever. Yeah, it's super flexible. And within the flexibility, I know for myself, I can sometimes get caught up when things are too flexible and then I become a little unstructured. Mm -hmm. But with their sprint concept that they have, it's the Lingo to Language Sprint. Um, it's the intensive language challenge, essentially. So if you need a challenge and something to motivate you, they have two options. You can do the 15 classes or the 30 classes a month for two months. So you can do the 15 classes per month for two months. And if you meet all of the conditions and stick with it, then you can get 50% cash back. Or you can do the even more intensive, more challenging version, which is 30 classes a month for two months. And if you meet all of the requirements and stick with it, you get 100% cash back, which is a great option. And then if you use our discount code, which is UTS July, so UTS and then spell out July, so J-U-L-Y, um, you can get a 20 euro or a $25 uh, discount off of the deposit. Yeah, so the Lingoda Sprint Challenge is really a great way to get you started or get you motivated if you've already learned the language in the past and kind of like drop the ball on it to just get into it in like an intense way, which really helps you to get to that next level if you do it regularly for a certain period of time. That's why it's a challenge. And as you just said, Josh, it's a great motivation if you can actually get your money back in the end, like either the 50% with the sprint or the 100%, all of your money with the super sprint. So check out the link in the description box on YouTube or the show notes if you're listening on the audio version. And with that, we haven't actually talked about what <laughs> this episode is going to be about. We actually have a guest. I mean, you probably already know that because it's in the title. Um, <laughs> but the guest is a very special guest because her name's Sarah and she's a very special guest because she's actually the first person that worked with me on my YouTube channel. This uh, was like two years ago that I hired her basically as my first um, team member assistant. And she helped me a lot with things like community management, like the comment sections on YouTube and Instagram and all of that and emails. And she would like proofread my script sometimes and um, help me with like, you know, little language questions that I would have where it's like, hey, I want to say something like this. And I'm not quite sure if this is the right phrasing to use or if this is the right phrasing to use. The reason why she can help me so much with that is that she is American. She's from Cincinnati, but she also is fluent in German and actually now lives in Germany. And I think that's all we need to say. I think with that, we can just jump into the interview. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Understanding Train Station podcast, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I was going to say, it's weird to say welcome because you always, we know that you see pretty much all of these episodes. So it, you're in the behind the scenes thing. So uh, yeah. it's nice to have you in front of the camera and uh, for me, especially get to talk to you in person. Yeah, Sarah has done a bunch of our um, subtitles and stuff. Whenever we had like German sections in the past, she would sometimes do the subtitles for those, the English subtitles that you can then act activate on YouTube. And I think we're going to actually do a German section today because as we just said, Sarah actually lives in Berlin and does speak German also. So let's just kind of maybe get into this whole like story a little bit because there's so much that you can, I think, share with us because you 
have you just have a lot of experience with the German language, the German culture, and Austrian culture. Um, so I guess my first question is just like, what's your what's your story? We know that you're in Berlin now, but how did you end up there? And what were the stations in between? <laughs> right. Okay. I think it all began in Cincinnati as every good story begins, um, <laughs> in kindergarten when my parents decided to put me into the closest public school to my house, which just happened to be a German language school. Ah, so I it, didn't it realize you went, to Fair, you went to Fairview then? Yeah, I, I did go to Fairview. Yeah. Ah, okay, very cool. Yeah, and it wasn't like a full immersion program or, uh, by any means, but pretty much we just learned maybe an hour of German a day. Like it was just one of okay. our subjects starting in kindergarten up through sixth grade. And I would say on the grammar front, it was lacking a little, but we learned like nursery rhymes and colors and we even did like math lessons in German. So It was fairly comprehensive, and yeah, that's, pretty I, that, cool. that's kind of where I started to learn German. And other, if it wasn't for that, I'm sure I wouldn't um, be where I am now. I have like a little uh, inf piece of information to throw in there, just for people who don't know this who are new to the podcast. But Cincinnati is just a very German city, culturally, historically. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of German ancestry here, um, so that's actually one of the cool things that Fairview School. It's an elementary school, right? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's just just an elementary school, um, but it's been around forever. And a lot of kids actually in Cincinnati go to that school and do learn German from a very young age. And that's like such a privilege that I feel like a lot of other parts of the U.S. don't really have. Other cities don't really have that. So, yeah, yeah I think most people wouldn't really expect that to be a thing in the U.S. But Cincinnati is kind of a special about that, I would say. Also, yeah. another little fun fact, I actually applied to Fairview one time when I wasn't sure if I was able to stay in the U.S. I was trying to get a job for my OPT, like for my student visa, to be able to stay here for a little bit longer. And they were looking for a teacher and they actually invited me to come in for an interview. And I had no, like, I had teaching experience on the college level, but like I didn't have a teaching degree or anything. Very different. I don't even know why they invited me, <laughs> but it wasn't. I'm sure you would have been good at it. <laughs> Well, they didn't take me. Actually, like I went in and I interviewed and everything. It was like a whole table of like 10 teachers and wow. me. And it was like very intimidating. Oh my But gosh. yeah, newsflash, I, I didn't end up becoming an elementary teacher here. So. <laughs> and one other fun fact is I actually used to tutor at uh, Fairview. So not actually I German tutor. I, I wasn't a German tutor, but it just was a reading comprehension uh, program. That was part of my degree that I had to do was some volunteering. And I actually did that at um, at Fairview. So, I mean, I sat in some of the German oh, classes because I just thought it was interesting. But lots of Fairview connections here in this yeah. interview. Yeah, That's so funny. That? It all ties back in together. But uh, yeah. back to you, Sarah. Yeah, I'm really grateful that I also had that opportunity because... Um, I don't think I'm like naturally gifted at languages. Like I've tried to learn other languages and I'm, I would say I'm average at it, but because I learned German from such a young age, I think it gave me a level that I never would have had otherwise. So, yeah. And it was also very interesting from a cultural front. Like, um, for example, I remember that we used to sing the German national anthem, oh, which wow. I know, don't think they do in Germany in elementary no. school. <laughs> And um, we also had... Like I was part of a choir where we pretty much only sang like German songs and um, there were, we had like a fashion celebration every year. So there are also all these kind of weird cultural elements thrown into like an urban public school. Then I just kind of kept, I didn't take it at the beginning in high school anymore because I had to take Latin um, and I took Spanish. 
And, but then I studied it again in college and studied abroad. And you got your, was it your major even in college? Yeah, it was, it was one of my majors because they said if I studied abroad, I had to major in it. Okay. And oh, really? I pretty okay. much got all my credits just abroad. Oh, okay. And you went to OSU, so Ohio State University, right? Mm-hmm. Right, the Columbus. Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Before people correct me, um, I won't and then, correct you. <laughs> and then you did a study abroad. But where was your study abroad then? It in was Germany? in Bonn. In Bonn. Ah, okay. Yeah, they didn't really give us um, an option. I think it was either Bonn or Mannheim. So okay, yeah. How long and was how that? Long one year? <laughs> Just us. <laughs> It was a semester, but I had um, I had also some funding to do some research for my thesis in Berlin. So I also like I stayed like two months beforehand because the semester mm-hmm. doesn't start until April. But I went in January and lived in Berlin for a while and did some research in the archives uh, in Berlin, which was really great. And then went to Bonn. So you actually you're one of those people who wrote a bachelor's thesis. In yes, the US? I did. I did. I think they really encourage you at Ohio State because if you do, you can get a lot of funding for it um, okay. quite easily. So I think all of my, within my circle of friends, I think everyone wrote one. But that oh, wow. was, I think it was a, a not, you know, it was a selective sample size. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we all kind of inspired each other probably. Yeah. And it was a good experience. I think that's super cool. And it's a good example of how, I mean, you and I pretty much grew up in the same exact city with very, very similar experiences, but even that shows two different perspectives. So when we talk about how it truly is just our lived experience and the things that we see around us, and these are just our personal opinions and, yeah. and, and perspectives that we're broadcasting, yeah. this is a great example of how other people have uh, different experiences. So, But we also say different things, I think. So I studied yeah. history and most of my friends studied history or something adjacent to that. Okay. And I think in that field, it's... Um, a lot more common to write a thesis because if you want to go into further training, you kind of need that mm-hmm. in order to, for example, apply for a PhD. You could never apply for a history PhD without having written a thesis. They wouldn't. Yeah. And I don't think they would accept <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> but like all, like my friends, like my sister studies public health and she's not writing a thesis. She does a capstone. Yeah. So I think there's the capstone is more in this like social science area or science area than the humanities. Mm-hmm. We'll have to link the the uh, episode that we are kind of referring to right now where we were talking about university and how like the whole bachelor's thesis is a thing in Germany and not necessarily in the US. So for those of you who haven't heard that episode, make sure to check that out as well. It was actually the German episode. So um, ah, you're gonna have okay. to probably read the <laughs> read the subtitles if you don't understand German. But yeah, we, we uh, talked about that because people like, a lot of Germans were kind of curious how that works in the US. And usually people don't write a thesis, at least for their undergrad. So um, yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, uh, that's kind of like one of the main topics that I wanted to talk to you about anyways, especially now with that you're getting your master's in Berlin. But like, I guess your first experience with like the German university system was back then already. How was that different? Because especially I feel like undergrad is very different in the US compared to Germany. And I've personally talked about this in a few videos before. I don't even know if we've mentioned it a whole lot in the podcast yet, but I just, I feel like, Getting your undergrad in the U.S., in my personal experience, is just a lot more school-like. So what we would say like Schule in German, so more like in Gymnasium or Realschule, where like uh, everything's much more structured and you have actual homework like during the week, which isn't like 
that common in yeah. Germany and you have classes several times a week, not just like once a week. And everything's just structured a little bit different and people pamper you a little bit less. Like at German oh, University, yeah. you have to be very independent and things like that. So yeah, how, how was that experience for you? Yeah, I think as a study abroad student, you do get pampered a little bit more than you mm. would if you were just regularly enrolled, which I have now as a comparison because now I'm not, no one's helping me at all. Mm -hmm. um, but still like in, in Bonn, they would kind of help us get our like residency permit figured out. Okay. They found housing for us. And that was pretty much the extent of it. But those, those are two very hard things to do when you move abroad. So those two yeah, things yeah. were taken care of. For me, the hardest part was that they didn't really expect us to take classes at the university proper. They expected us to enroll in like classes for exchange students, essentially. Oh. Mm, okay. So it was because I wanted to take classes at the actual university, um, like in German and with other German students, I had to kind of do that by myself. So I would have to kind of cold email professors and just ask them to let me in their class. Okay. Um, That's so interesting. I guess it makes sense, but I mean, I didn't do a study abroad, but I guess they really do put you probably in a, a exchange student kind of world or bubble yeah. um, as far as courses are concerned. I hadn't thought about that at all. Yeah. But I think that's and most, cool that you Because most of those courses were like for language learning. So mm -hmm. most of those courses were maybe like German culture mm -hmm. and history taught in German, but for German as a second language learners. Mm -hmm. So like they did have a wide variety of those classes, but yeah. So the regular classes that you then took, were those in history or in German studies? So in Germanistic? They were a range I took one like history lecture and to me the most surprising thing was that after the first two weeks nobody came anymore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it was a Vorlesung and I was didn't really know what that meant and it was in like a giant lecture hall and the mm -hmm. professor wore a suit every week but there would be five of us that came oh after the first two weeks <laughs> and I was so confused at first I didn't understand that you didn't really have to go. Um, but yeah. I mean, for me, being someone who has only gone to the American school system or education system, how did these people learn the information then? I mean, were the lectures posted somewhere or did they just do self-study with the textbook? Well, they just didn't need to, to have a grade for the class. Like they were never going to do an exam for the class. It was like part of a module. And ah, okay. basically there's no attendance requirement. I, I, miss, I don't know how many of the people that didn't come actually wound up having it be part of their module. Yeah. Um, it also, from like a German perspective, it also really depends. Like sometimes it's like that, what you just said, I had that in my um, major as well, where I would have like a module where there was a lecture and then two different seminars yeah. and the grade was mainly just the seminars and the lecture was kind of like the overall framework. But basically uh, how it usually works at German universities is that you don't even have a textbook necessarily. They can't yeah. really force you to yeah. buy their textbook like they do in the US a lot of the times. Uh -huh. They provide slides, like all the PowerPoint mm. presentations are uploaded and that's basically what you have to study. So sometimes people already know, oh, this professor, he all he does is just read out his slides. So I don't really have to be there because he doesn't really provide any extra information okay. or at least nothing that's relevant. So I can just read the slides and I'll be fine. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I took that class and I took a, like a political science seminar on climate change, I think, which I really loved. And that was my first like experience with a classic German seminar where mm -hmm. is a format that now I also see repeated in my master's program. 
where it's like a mid-sized class. Um, every week is reading and discussion. And then also every week someone gives a presentation, which to me, this is like the defining future of German education um, is like that everyone is expected as their part of their participation to give a presentation uh, during one week of the mm -hmm. semester. And at the first class of the semester, you divide it up who presents which week. And um, yeah, so that was my first time doing that. That's so interesting. I had to do that in my German studies master at the University of Cincinnati, but I think it's also because most of those professors there are German, so they yes. kind of like adapt the German way of doing yes. it. So I didn't even really know. I mean, I knew that in, during the undergrad exchange semester that I did, things were like very easy, but granted, I also took like very hands-on classes, but like I was, I, I've said this before, I was very surprised how easy the, those classes were, how I like nailed it without even trying. It, like I thought I was doing the bare minimum And apparently all these other people that paid all this money for this, because I didn't have to pay as an exchange student, I didn't pay any tuition, yeah. and I didn't need the credits either. I, I needed nothing. But all these other people that actually needed the credits and paid for it, like, apparently did way less than I did, but I just came out of the German university system. So yeah. to me, <laughs> I was doing the bare minimum. Um, but yeah, like, at least in the undergrad, that wasn't common. But then during my master's, it was, so I kind of thought that hmm. it yeah. was more like a subject thing. But now that yeah. you're saying that, I'm kind of thinking it, is. it was... I have in every every single class. Yeah, no, of I course. Mean, But now I'm kind of more thinking that it may have been the German professors that just brought that over from the German right, system. Right, yeah, it totally could yeah. be. And I actually <laughs> noticed that here, the only time I have a professor who doesn't assign that is when they're American or mm -hmm. they're German but got their PhD at Yale or something okay. like that. And then they're like, they've really taken on more aspects of the American like higher education system like they'll tell us to write discussion posts on blackboard yeah <laughs> which like I think that's like a very American form of like weekly almost busy work yeah. um weekly assignments that my German professors just don't assign ever yeah I mean just to give a little bit of context from like my education experience too I had some classes where at the beginning of the semester they would say It was mostly based off of case studies. So your group would present a case study and you would then have to choose which week you were going to do that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a completely foreign concept to no. people who just grow up in the American system. Um, but I don't think it's probably as prevalent as uh, in the German system yeah. is what it sounds like. And just yeah. always follows the same format, at least in my experience. So then you moved back to the U.S. then after uh, your study abroad yeah. experience and then finished your studies at OSU? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't really have a plan for after graduation. So I decided that I would give it a shot and apply for like some post-grad programs. So I applied for Fulbright and I actually was planning on doing the Fulbright in Berlin, but it was canceled because of COVID. Um, uh. So I decided that I would just give it a shot and go for the Austrian one instead, even though I had never truly like even considered uh, moving to Austria before. Um, and I'm so glad I did. It was a like really great experience. And I also learned a lot. Um, so where did you end up in Austria? Yeah, I lived in Vienna. And so I was really lucky that I was um, placed into, at least for me, lucky that I was placed into the capital and yeah. biggest city, especially since I didn't know much about Austria before. I think that was a good starting point. And I taught English as an assistant 
in like a Handelsschule, which I don't know if it that exists in Germany, a Handelsschule. Is I, it like a Berufsschule? Yeah, yeah. I think it's at the level of, of that, yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that exists in with that same term in Germany. And I had a, a good experience there, even though it was during the during the pandemic. So how long did you live in Austria for then? Uh, a little less than a year. Okay. And were you surprised or were there any big differences that you noticed between your experience in Bonn and living in Germany and then going to Austria? Because a lot of people, I think, especially from the American perspective, see the two as very, very much the same. And I just would be interested, since you've lived in both and now even more now that you live in Berlin, what was it like? Were there any things that you're like, oh, wow, okay, this is Austrian, not German? Yeah, yeah, I was ab I was absolutely surprised <laughs> when I arrived. And I think part of it was that I held off on doing much research because I kept thinking it would get canceled because of COVID. Mm -hmm. This was like peak pandemic moment. I thought they would also cancel it. Um, and I didn't really want to get my hopes up. So I wasn't doing like any research pretty much yeah. until like the day before I flew. I remember <laughs> like looking on YouTube at like an easy German YouTube video about like Austrian dialect. And I was just like, oh. Oh no, that's wow. your first exposure. <laughs> it's like, oh, that sounds quite different. Um, it does. <laughs> and when I first got to the airport in Vienna, I remember like going up to the counter of like the national railway, like the UBB counter. And I was trying to figure out like which rail card I needed to like commute to my school and I think he he heard like m my German and was entertained by it, like how <laughs> how it sounded. And he like really was talking in like a super heavy dialect and I had almost no idea what he was saying. Um, and he was kind of laughing at me and I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and then from then on, I adapted to it. You even lived in a family, right? At first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the first three months, I kind of worked as an au pair. Mm -hmm. um, yeah on the side yeah because I remember that because at that time you actually did work for me a little bit like you helped yeah. me out and um I remember that you told me that you had uh, that you had trouble understanding them because they were a little bit outside of Vienna from what I remember mm -hmm. more like in a more rural area and that I think the dialect was even stronger there or something like that mm, it was the hardest place um so my boyfriend um at the time was living in Corinthia so um, Canton, oh, and okay. they, that was the place where the dialect was the strongest. Mm -hmm. um, and like, they're just the most different. Also like really pretty. I really like that um, dialect. Um, but most of the time, I mean, people will switch it on and off. Like as someone okay. who's, who's, I mean, I'm, I believe it's the same in Bavaria, but I had never spent time in Bavaria really. So this That's, I think if I had studied abroad in Munich, for example, like going to Vienna wouldn't have been such a big change um, because they they just sound a little more similar. And I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, maybe, Feli, you, you can talk about that a little bit. <laughs> the dialects do sound similar a little bit, but like at least in Munich, most people do mainly speak standard German. Yeah, whereas in yeah. Austria, people actually do speak their dialects like in everyday life a lot more. Mean. Like. Even like uh, Austrian media, um, they, I mean, they do, even though they use standard German grammar and expressions a lot, they'll still have like a few Austrian words in there. And the pronunciation, I feel like, is always different. They never have like perfect standard German, or when I say perfect, I mean like German, standard German yeah. pronunciation on Austrian media. So I feel like 
in Austria, the dialect is just more, way more present than it yeah. is in Munich. So, I, yeah. like, even for Germans, it's often a struggle, like, especially if they're in, like, Canton or Vorarlberg or, like, something like that where it's, like, yes, crazy. I feel yes. like Viennese, at least, is, like, relatively easy to understand yeah. still. Like, it's a very clear pronunciation. Um, but it's I could definitely see how that would be a shock, especially if you just, like, studied German, German yeah. up until that yeah. point. But it was really fun, like, learning and also learning words because I was living with little kids at the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. kind of fun for them to teach me words. And also a lot of the words that I learned, because uh, this was definitely, like, the most intensively I had ever been speaking German, um, was living in Vienna. So mm -hmm. some of the words I learned, I actually wasn't sure if they were Austrian-German or German-German. So, like, even until recently when I moved to Berlin, I would say something and my roommate would <laughs> say... You're going to have to give us a couple examples. You sound like <laughs> my grandma. <laughs> um, oh, okay. One is um, my side. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I, my, everyone in Austria would say that just all the time. Which... I think you're referring to Mahlzeit in the sense of wishing people a good yes. meal. Yes. Because yes, in Germany, exactly. it's very common, especially among like the the more I don't want to say working class, but more like hand hand worker type jobs to greet people by saying Mahlzeit. Ah. But then when you sit down to eat, yes. people at least in Bavaria will say a guten or guten appetit. Yeah. Whereas in Austria, people yes. say Mahlzeit. And it wouldn't even, even if I like was in the kitchen and I was like grabbing a snack out of the cupboard, if my roommate walked through my side or like <laughs> at the school, like in the, in the teacher's room, it's like around that time, it's like my side, my side, my side, yeah. just like everyone says it. And I, I honestly didn't pick up on at first that that was Austrian German or that people would think it was funny when I say mm. it to them here where yeah, when I like, say it to someone here they laugh like in interesting. A, not, not like that they're laughing at me but they think it's kind of cute that I say it or they they mm -hmm. notice it it might be more common in Munich than in Berlin because I I wouldn't yeah. have thought that that's weird I'm sure I it, also I'm, don't do I'm it sure a whole it lot but like people like um at my uh former workplaces would definitely do it and I wouldn't mm. think that it's weird so that's interesting okay what's another mm. example okay one that sticks out to me is also like when I moved to Berlin and I um was doing like vague interviews like interviewing to to find housing so trying to find a roommate mm -hmm. and she was asking me if I like to gay Vic and I was uh -huh. like what what I was like what do you mean but I thought she meant traveling uh -huh. and Because in Austria, like my roommates had always said, Fortgehen. Yeah. And I told her, Fortgehen. And she was like, oh, you mean Fortgehen. And she was like, do I? I'm not, I'm not sure if that's what I mean. <laughs> I think so that's where you see the overlap, though, with Bavarian um, and Austrian. Is yes. Both of those things I feel like are very normal to hear here in Bavaria as well. But the further north you go, the less common it is to hear mm -hmm. Fortgehen instead of Fortgehen. Yeah, and I had I had certainly I don't think I had heard it before I moved to Austria, but I also just wasn't yeah wasn't I had kind of adopted it and thought that that was what young people were saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I would think that too. Uh, for yeah. everyone who doesn't know what that means, so t just to go out, to go out to the bars, like to party. Yeah, another one would be like Haube. Um, yeah, that's is, that's the one that came to my mind when you okay, just said that. Okay, now yeah. I'm intrigued what you're what you're gonna say by this because I, I don't think I understand what you mean by halba. Because when I hear halba, I think uh -huh. of like a cover for like a motua halba or something. Uh -huh. Okay, so yeah, like this was this is when I picked up au pairing the kids because she would she 
was saying the word halba and was like, what is that? I don't know what that means. And then mm-hmm. she just pointed to like her hat. So like her winter hat. Ah. And I was like, oh, mutsa or something. That, that's the yeah, word that yeah, I would know. The, yeah. And she, but she said, no, it's, ha- it's a halba. Like she was very insistent because she was seven. And she's like, it's a halba. Yeah. Um, it's very funny that that's called a halba. <laughs> Uh, you should know that, Josh. I feel like uh, people in Linz say that too. I'm sure they do. I, I just don't think I've spent a lot of time there when it's cold. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 my, yeah my that makes sense. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. The funny thing is that's what you said earlier, Sarah, and that's why that word came to my mind first, is that that is also a German word. And I think like back yeah. in the day, like maybe a couple of hundred years ago, yeah. that was also a term that we would use in standard German at the time but that's why to us it sounds kind of outdated and then some of these dialects such as like Upper Austrian or Viennese they still use that as the standard word and sometimes like funny to modern German speakers that Mm. that word like survived and it's like this little like old-fashioned sounding word in there Mm -hmm. that's so interesting (laughs) but other than that there's like a lot of Austrian words that I knew were Austrian Mm -hmm. like just the word for like Semmel instead of Brötchen or Mm. Um, Sackel, um, Sackel, yeah, for Tasche, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Tüte, yeah. yeah. For Tüte. And um, also just greetings, obviously, like Servus, um, or like in Corinthian, or like Sers, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, or Fiatti, which is yeah, one fiatti. that, like, my roommate here had never heard before, but I heard that a lot. And it's mo- mostly not in Vienna, but in other areas. Yeah, th- a lot of those that you just said, are very Bavarian too. So yeah. like a lot of those would also work in Bavaria. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's so funny. So then, um, I mean, my biggest question is kind of like, how did you adapt to all of this? Did you, um, did you just pick up on it by hanging out with these kids and with other people around you? Or did you actually like sit down and try to study a few of these words or like study the pronunciation? Or how did you get by? I think most of them are just things that are repeated a lot, like greetings, okay. or like when you're at the grocery store, and they say, Wiedersehen, Papa. <laughs> like, you just like kind of get in the hang of yeah. these strings of words that people put together. Um, and that was mostly when I had to use it anyway. Or my okay. roommates would explain it to me. One of my roommates was from Salzburg, and one was from Burgenland. So... Mm-hmm. They both had different dialects and okay. they would like explain things to me as well. And when their friends would come over, um, especially my friend from the Bogenland, when her friends would come over and they would all speak in dialect together, that was uh, quite tricky for me to understand that they would do some translating. I feel like if you didn't prepare for that at all, that would have been such a big culture shock for me. But, but I'm um, sure I'm sure there are some people who are listening and who are interested in maybe going to Austria at some point. Would you say if someone is learning German and wanting to move to Austria or spend a significant time of, in Austria, should they focus on really learning Austrian dialects? Or would you say stick with regular German, uh, say regular German, standard German as spoken in Germany and you'll be fine? Yeah, you'll, I know, you'll get I know along my fine. opinion, but... You'll get along fine with standard German. We, you just might get made fun of a little bit. Also, my boyfriend in Corinthia got made, like, a lot, a lot of fun of for his, mm-hmm. uh, like, standard German there. Like, they would uh-huh. really laugh at him and be like, don't talk like that. Oh. Like, you sound, you sound German. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, mean, he, he... I mean, he's actually amazing at languages, so he just picked it up. And he was like, okay, fine, I'm going to try. And, <laughs> like, really ado- adopted more of a dialect than I would really feel comfortable doing. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the biggest struggle would really be understanding it, like, yeah. when they speak it. 
I think that, but, I yeah. mean, I even struggle with that in the U.S. still sometimes with yeah. the Southern accent, which I've like mentioned several times. So I feel like that would be my biggest struggle is like not that people understand me, but that I, I understand them. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think in the end, people will be nice and they'll probably standardize their German for you. Mm -hmm. At least that's been my experience. People yeah. really um, can do that, which is already impressive. Yeah. Yeah. What was your um, opinion that you wanted to share, Josh? Oh, I mean, I didn't really have... I was basically saying I would agree with what you said, Sarah. Like, it's been my experience with Austrians as well as they'll adapt, especially knowing that you're not a native speaker. Yeah. They'll adapt to make sure that you understand. But um, you definitely, if you're going to spend more time there, have to adapt or at least actively be like, okay, I need to learn what these words mean. Because okay. at first they'll adapt and teach you, okay, this is what this means in standard German. But then once they've explained it to you, there's kind of the expectation that you get with the program and uh, they're not always going to, to speak standard German with you then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would agree with but that. But it's also so. a super fun thing for a yeah. language learner. Like I found it really a lot of fun. And then you move to Berlin where uh, it's uh, pretty standard. Where no one speaks German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, yeah. How how did was you your experience there? I was gonna say, did, just maybe taking a step back so mm. I can understand the journey still. So then you went to Austria, and then did you move directly from Austria to or from Vienna to Berlin, or did you have a, some sort of a stop in between? I visited my family in between, okay. but that was about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I knew I knew I was go. I considered staying in. Um, Vienna for another year and I would have really liked to but this just seemed like too good of an opportunity so yeah so I decided to come to Berlin to study and do my master's what are you getting and your master's in again um, global history I forgot that again you told me this like a couple times before and I keep forgetting <laughs> but for anyone who doesn't know Germany has the um, great future that it is essentially free to study here so it's and there aren't that many programs that are in English so I think that's probably the biggest barrier for anyone who is looking is an international student looking to study here or complete a degree not just study abroad but complete a degree here um, yeah. but there are actually some programs in English and yeah is your program in English or are you doing one in German it's basically flexible so Uh, it could be all in English or it could be all in German, actually, or almost okay. all in German. You can just decide based on whatever classes you select. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I would like to get some more tips from you, like maybe later on in the episode, because I know there's a bunch of people listening who are interested in maybe studying abroad in Germany. And I know you have all the tips that neither I nor Josh have because we <laughs> never did that. Um, but before that, I was kind of curious, like you just said nobody speaks German in Berlin. So like what's your, what's your experience like in Berlin ever since you moved there last fall? So you've been there for like How much is that? Eight eight months? Nine months? Something like that? Yeah, no? around then. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Berlin is just such an international city. There's tons of um, expats, immigrants. Um, and in my daily life, I speak extremely little German here, especially in mm -hmm. comparison to how much I spoke in, um, in Vienna. Um, and I think people here are just more likely to even start out the conversation in German. I mean, in English, and I'll, I'll even go into a coffee shop or I'll go to a yoga class and they, their first question is German or English. So mm -hmm. like they, they like pre, they, they add that as like a preamble to any conversation. Um, 
not always, but in a lot of places. And some cafes, restaurants, they don't even speak German. Like the people who work there don't speak German. It's like an English language cafe, essentially. Um, so it would be extremely easy to live here and never speak German. If that was which, okay with you. <laughs> which some people do, for sure. Yeah. Like, some people move to Berlin and, like, only know the bare minimum of German. And people are like, wait, how, how can you live in Germany and not speak it? But in Berlin, I've said yeah. this, like, several times to people. I feel like a lot of people don't really want to believe it, but it is possible oh. in Berlin. Oh, it's definitely possible. It's also possible in some other German bigger cities if you if you try, if you want to. Um, but in Berlin, like, as you just said, I'm actually, I didn't know it was that crazy. Because I yeah. personally haven't been to Berlin in a while. It's mm. been, like... 10 years or so longer than that I think um, so like I never even like really experienced that as a as an adult like that whole culture but like that's crazy that some cafes are just completely in English so what about the old Berlin like the Alteingesessenen Berliner like the the older citizens that just like live in Berlin um, do, do you ever experience any of them getting like mad at that because I feel mm. like That could also be a thing that they feel upset that in their own city they can't even order in German. Mm. I'm gonna guess it's pretty limited to more to the places that internationals would frequent, so like hipster hipster okay. cafes or, or that kind of thing, co-working spaces that are um, likely to be geared towards international students anyway. Okay. So I, I think it's Probably if you've been living here for a long time and you have the places that you go to, those are not going to be nearly as affected. Okay, so you don't experience like a grumpy grandpa or anything like that on a daily basis. Well, to, <laughs> I, think, I think the most, the thing that I experienced the most has to do with um, like noise level and like speaking um, volume. Mm. Because um, like to me, this is a big cultural difference is just like what is the acceptable volume to speak at in any given situation. So like even in the kitchen, like I notice that I speak much more loudly than my roommate speaks. Mm -hmm. um, if, even if we're the only ones there and there's no background noise, I'll just be like yelling. <laughs> um, or on the subway, I've been told to be quiet uh, many times by- By, by random Germans. people. Ah, yeah. okay. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll either like say shh, Or they'll say, like, can you please be quiet? Like, if I'm talking to my friends in the subway. <laughs> I love yeah. it. It's so German. It's so That is German. the full German experience, 100%. And I mean, I it kind of ties in with, like, Germans always saying that Americans are so loud. It's, We but are, that, though. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it is, though. Like, it's a cultural difference. Like, in the yeah. U.S., nobody considers that loud. Yeah. So, like, of course, if you grew up like that, you're just used yeah. to it. I feel like it's the same with... Yeah. Um, With Indian friends of mine, like I just noticed like even for American standards, a lot of my Indian friends would get really loud and you would like, it's kind of like with, I think what a lot of people have when they hear German, they think that the Germans are just angry at the phone. And I feel like a lot of Indian people get very loud on the phone, but just because they're like telling a story and it doesn't mm -hmm. even have to be a bad story. It's like a happy story, mm -hmm. but they just mm -hmm. like speak up a little bit more. Um, That's something that I noticed from my like German point of view that where I'm just used to the the quiet conversations, especially if it's something private. Even if I like speak in German in the U.S. and it's like something more private, if I'm outside in public, I I try to speak a little bit uh, quieter, even though I know nobody can even understand hmm. me probably. <laughs> but but do you do either of you have that experience or do, have you just completely adapted? I was gonna say I think I'm pretty eingedeutscht in that sense, mm. so very Germanized. Um, I think I knew that Americans have the stereotype of being loud, so I think I 
especially when I was first here the first couple times, I actively tried to be a little quieter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, if I if I reflect on my myself, when I'm speaking English with my friends, I probably do speak significantly louder than I would when I yeah. speak German. Um, but I've never had the experience that someone has outright asked me to be quieter because they're because they think I'm loud. I've I've never had that before. But I, that might also have to do a little bit more with like the Berliner Schnauze. I don't know mm. that people in Berlin tend to be even more direct than here in the South. Would mm-hmm. you agree with that statement, Feli? Is that a stereotype that it's a stereotype? Uh, exists? For sure. Yeah, it's a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, as, as I said, I haven't spent enough time there. I would, I think it might be true, but like I can't really compare based on personal experience. I mean, I definitely know that they do it in Munich too, but they might yeah. do it more in Berlin. Mm-hmm. I probably would say something back to them in German if they said that to me, but that's just. I me. never have. I never have a good comeback, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, you also I, don't really want to argue with these people. No, they're don't. already like kind of yeah. making and you feel I, uncomfortable. Yeah. And I do try to make a. I, I am more conscious of it now, for sure, than that I, like, I definitely think about it. Yeah. I did have an experience recently, though, where someone got mad because I was here with a, it was actually with uh, Christina, my high school German teacher. She was here with a group of her students, there were like 35 of them, Mm -hmm. and we had kind of stopped somewhere, and some older German gentleman was mad mad at us because he didn't think he could get by. Um, but there was plenty oh. of space, uh, yeah. plenty of space for him to get by, but he just was complaining. Yeah. So I had I, a comment I encountered back for him that, too, that kind but, of thing too. Um, but, yeah. but one thing that does happen with me is when I go back to the U S I realize that people are louder and that's mm-hmm. something that like is jarring to me at first. Like, Oh wow. Wait, like everyone here is so louder. Even if you're standing at the terminal or at the gate, um, about to fly back to the U.S., you can tell that there are a lot of Americans because the volume is probably twenty percent louder than than otherwise. Yeah, yeah. what's well, always weird to me to you guys too. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Like I, I have that same scenario like in front of my eyes right now, where I'm at the airport and there's like maybe just one or two Americans, and the thing is like the whole gate can hear their conversation and they also don't <laughs> care. That's like something that always stood out to me, where it's like Germans don't like. If there's if it's really quiet, Germans yeah. don't usually feel comfortable having a private conversation. Like even if it's on the phone, they'll be like, "Yeah, I can't really talk right now. It's really quiet here. Everyone can hear me." Uh, but <laughs> Americans often don't care. I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna discuss their health history, but even if it's just any kind of you know small talk conversation, um, yeah, they, they don't really have that sensitivity to that that we have as Germans and sometimes I like that about Americans and some of course sometimes there are situations where I like it the German way but I what I really don't like about the German way is that for example when you're at a restaurant and it's really quiet everyone stays quiet I don't know if you guys Mm -hmm. have ever been in that situation or it can be another public space also Mm -hmm. um kind of like struggling finding another good example but if everyone's quiet, nobody will be the first one to like start talking in Germany. And that can be kind of uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes I like that in the U.S. everyone's just talking and you can just also just relax and talk and you don't have to worry that other people are going to give you that look because you're the only one. Mm-hmm. So maybe another question I have for you, Sarah, your friend group, like, is it mostly German or is it very, very international in Berlin? Um, no, it's, it's definitely not mostly German by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say also, uh, because my master's program is definitely not mostly German. It's mostly international. 
Yeah. So, like, my friend group is, like, a German, someone from the Netherlands, mm-hmm. um, someone from New Zealand, someone from uh, Americans, Brits, yeah. basically a range. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that, would you say that's different than how your experience was in Austria when you were living in Vienna? Or w- was it also very international there? Well, I think it was different in Austria because of the pandemic, mostly. So mm-hmm. pretty much my only like I couldn't even we couldn't even go to restaurants for like 90 percent of the time Mm. I was there so I mean you certainly couldn't go to bars um, nothing like that the so my socialization was very limited and so I feel like I stuck really within like the um English teacher circle Mm. so Mm -hmm. mostly I hung out with my roommates and Americans okay yeah and what are your your roommates now um do you live with Germans now I have one roommate and she's German. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like we've already talked a lot about, like, the cultural differences there. But one of my main questions, maybe there was, like, one thing that you haven't mentioned. But one of my main questions was, I feel like Vienna and Berlin, like, it, it, there is no bigger difference. I feel like that is <laughs> such a culture <laughs> shock in itself. Because not only is it, like, it's not like Munich, which is at the south, in the south of Germany, more closer to Austria and Austria. It's like this northern very like special german city like berlin is already not even stereotypical for the rest of germany like berlin is just berlin it's a, its own thing and then vienna is obviously like very like further into austria it's not at the german border even um mm-hmm. yeah well my, my question was just like how was that difference there and that culture shock there i don't know if there's anything else that you haven't mentioned so far that you experienced um, I I mean, I love both of the cities. I think they're both amazing for different reasons. I think when I first got to Berlin, I really missed Vienna a lot, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, I think is a factor of just moving somewhere new. You always kind of miss what you just left a little bit more at the beginning and takes a while to adjust. Um, but the thing I missed the most was probably having um, a natural area so close to the city mm-hmm. in a way that in Vienna, even when you're in the city, some places you can see the hills and the vineyards and it's super easy just to hop on the tram and um, go on a little hike. And I mean, that was mostly what I did because of the pandemic, that was the only thing we could do. So mm-hmm. was just go hiking. And um, in other parts of Austria, like I was used to being able to go on the train for two hours and already be in the mountains. Um, and it's just a little harder in Berlin to do that. I mean, there still are natural areas around, um, but just is a bit of a different feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's the thing I miss the most, I think. But the cultures are fairly different. Just Berlin is a lot more edgy, grungy, that kind of thing. Vienna is a lot cleaner um, and proper in a way, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like even Munich people will say that moving to Berlin is a culture shock to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I was just wondering. Would you say the people are very different as well? I mean, you say, of course, like the proper versus maybe grunge, but I don't know if you would say like just the attitudes of the people if you notice a big difference. Mm. Maybe how people present themselves. I mean, I don't think I can say anything about attitudes, but how people pr- yeah. present themselves is definitely different. And there's definitely a specific style in Berlin, um, at least within a certain like milieu of like young mm-hmm. people. Um, everyone dresses very mm, 
people dress differently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like where it's common to wear like, um, like all black and it's no one wears new clothing. It's very, it's just a different style. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something that stands out to me, but just like among like my peers. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, outside my peers, I can't really say anything about the attitudes. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a preference between Vienna and Berlin right now? I mean, do, I'm assuming you like Berlin, but if you had yeah. to choose. I mean, I love Berlin. I don't think I can really choose. I like them both for okay. different reasons, but I love okay. Berlin. Yeah. yeah. And where does Cincinnati, could... where does Cincinnati rake in that all? <laughs> and Columbus, maybe. Yeah, Columbus as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I definitely rank Cincinnati above Columbus. That's an easy one. Yeah. Okay. Of course. I think. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Easy answer. I mean, honestly, like I've never really spent a lot of time in Columbus, but I mean, it's the capital of Ohio. But um, it, other than that, it's mostly just like more of a college town, right? Yeah. I mean, the campus is so huge. Um, I think it really dominates a lot of the even just the businesses that spring mm-hmm. up, I think a lot of it's dominated by the university and mm-hmm. also they just keep expanding. Um, but I, I think also in Cincinnati, I love the kind of history feeling that you have when you walk yeah. around downtown that I don't find as much in Columbus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Makes I mean, sense. that's really something that only locals and people who have that knowledge will probably pick up on. I feel like a lot of Americans always ask me, why the hell would you choose Cincinnati? It's such a ugly and boring city. And it's like, no, you don't even understand. (laughs) You don't have the knowledge. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, you as a history major, you would know. Yeah. And I I do, too, from like my personal research and uh, interests. And I think it's like it's fascinating to walk through downtown Mm -hmm. and over the Rhine and things like that. Um, but had you, had you ever considered moving to Berlin, Feli? Or Nope, never <laughs> considered it. I don't know if I will ever consider it. Um, yeah, I mean, Berlin is an amazing city, and I feel like there's a lot of people who that is the perfect place for, and I've never considered myself be one of, one of those yeah. people. Um, I, I mean, people ask me this a lot, but I really like Cincinnati also for its size. So I don't mm-hmm. even know if I would want to move to a bigger uh, city than Munich. Like Munich was mm-hmm. already kind of big enough for me. Um, I don't miss all the stress that a big city brings with it. Like Cincinnati is just the right thing where you have still that like laid back traffic. Okay, it's not always laid back. But what I mean by that is like you can get from A to B without having to plan like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm to be stuck in traffic Um, and you can park places and you can just go places without having a reservation and things like that. Whereas in Munich, things are just, you always have to plan. And I'm kind of assuming that it's going to be the same in Berlin. I feel like Berlin is even worse because it's so spread out Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like just much larger. I mean, it has more people, but it's also just larger Mm -hmm. um, size wise. What about you, Josh? Like when you were considering moving back to to Germany were you yeah. debating between <laughs> you know, Munich and Berlin? I wasn't. Um, I I think Berlin's a really cool city. I think it's really interesting with the history there, especially with um, it being a divided city for so long. Um, so there's always been in, like an intrigue there, but I, never enough to really like draw me to it. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just a Southern guy when it comes to Germany. Um, I there's I think I could picture myself living in Hamburg. Um, mm. but I don't think Berlin, when I, just from my visits there, just doesn't draw me the way that it draws a lot of people, but maybe I need to spend more time there. I think it would be a little too extreme for me. Um, 
very, yeah. very edgy, and yeah. I'm not the edgiest type person. Um, so I like a little bit of the comfort of the conservative South, which is even yeah. more, um, I would say, is more liberal than a lot of Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, yeah, no, it, it has never really come into to question for me. But also all of the job opportunities that I was looking at were more in the South. Um, yep. So... I know there was an opportunity maybe to move to Düsseldorf when I was first mm-hmm. considering uh, moving, um, but I'm very happy with it, having ended up in, in Munich. I don't think Munich necessarily will be my long-term home. I don't know at this point, um, but I don't necessarily see myself moving to Berlin. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, for everyone, like to people who are listening right now, who like now Berlin might not sound as attractive to anymore. I feel like Berlin is an amazing city. Oh, yeah. And like, especially oh, if you're yeah. interested in like all the subculture and like arts and everything alternative, everything startup, like all the interesting stuff mostly happens in Berlin. So like, um, yeah, it's definitely a great city. Yeah. But like, yeah, to me, it's just like I never really had a reason to want to move there yeah i think it might just be also a stereotype but i think it is true that like for me i can't really picture moving to munich like it mm-hmm. just seems like something i would never do like yeah. I, I oh i never really like when i wanted to study here i like knew it was going to be berlin yeah. so I, I think it is one of those things where like you feel a pull one way or the yeah. other yeah. and uh-huh. they don't they don't really mesh no you're <laughs> yeah. either like a berlin type or you're yeah. a munich type i would say yeah yeah And I feel like the cool thing about Berlin, too, is that Berlin is so much more diverse, too. I feel like if you're mm-hmm. a Munich, if you think of like peop- Munich people, you think of more like this one standard Munich person that wears these clothes and mm. looks like and their name is Maxi or Anna or something like that. <laughs> um, and they wear their uh, their uh, Jack Wolf skin clothes or their um, <laughs> super expensive uh, brand clothing. And uh, in Berlin, is anyone could fit in. So that's yeah. the cool yeah. thing about that city too, and especially for internationals um, yeah. that are looking for like um, a hub to basically start their new life in Germany. I think Berlin is pretty perfect. And also from what I've heard from, for example, the people who do the Americans in Germany drinking whiskey podcast, they're both in Berlin. I don't think they oh, speak yeah. a whole lot of German either because like <laughs> they just don't have to. And they've been there for like eight years or nine years or something around that. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's a great way, like a great starting point for many people and not just a starting point, but a, a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I know that we want to move into getting some tips from you for people mm-hmm. who are wanting to study in Germany from abroad. But before we get to that, I just am intrigued. Um, do you picture yourself moving back to the US? It's really hard to say. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, the biggest thing is just family. Um, yeah. I always pictured like living where my sister lives or living where or having my parents move to be near me when I'm older mm-hmm. and have a family. So I think it's hard to give up on those ideas. Um, mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for that, I think it would be easy for me to say, yeah, I would rather stay here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can relate to a lot of that. So yeah, yeah I mean, same. I have another um, kind of similar follow up question. So why did you end up um, going with that master's program in Berlin? Was it mainly just like a money decision because it's free? Um, or was it really that you weren't kind of like Josh and me that you, you wanted to be abroad and you wanted to be in a German speaking country? To me, it was just always one of those things that I had in the back of my head, like, oh, it would be amazing to do that one day. And I didn't really think it would ever happen until it happened. And then there okay. it was. Like, that's kind of how I felt with Fulbright, mm-hmm. too. I was like, oh, 
other people do this and it would be kind of cool if I one day did it, but never really thought it would happen. Yeah. And that's how I felt with this master's yeah. program. It just kind of aligned. And I had actually like when I did my study abroad um, in Bonn and I was in Berlin doing research in the archives and I met up with some other people who had the same funding source that I did and they were all doing their PhDs and masters in Berlin. So mm-hmm. I'd already met them and I was always had them in the back of my head like, oh, they're doing this thing in Berlin. Mm-hmm. One day maybe I would do that. Okay. So that's kind of where I got the idea. And then your dream <laughs> came true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, let's get back to the whole university topic. Um, so you you said a few things about your master's, how like certain things have repeated since your um, undergrad exchange semester in Bonn. But yeah, how how like is your overall experience with doing your master's in Germany, I know that at least like you have connections to like the American academia scene. So um, is it kind of what you expected or is it completely different? I think I was well prepared. Um, And so I was ready for, you know, doing things by myself and, you know, taking on responsibility for planning the program. Like if if you are in this master's program and any master's program and you just decide, I don't want to take any classes this semester or like, I don't want to write any exams this semester. Like you can do that. No one mm-hmm. will come after you. Like, why, why aren't you signed up for any <laughs> courses? Like why, why do you have no grades for the semester? Like no one, no one will tell you what, what to do. Like it's, it's all on you, but I was expecting that. And I was also prepared for the, the bureaucracy disorganization, which I'm not sure if that's unique to Berlin um, although I think like one of my friends studied at um, LMU in Munich and she said a similar thing that like everything is on paper still, um, which is how it is here. Like when you finish a class, the professor doesn't kind of put a check in the computer that you took the class. Like you have to take the piece of paper and like they will sign it that you took the class and then you bring that paper to another office and they will. I never um, had that. Like, registered that you took the class and same with grades like Uh and the thing is you can't turn the paper in until you finish the module so I just have like papers sitting around with like professor signatures and like I'm gonna have to take it back once I get a grade and I also like submitted my exam three months ago and the professor still hasn't graded the paper which is also (laughs) really common among other people like in my cohort um but I think it's it's just a level that I was like pretty much prepared for. And I think it's all just a factor of like, you are not paying for it. So the expectations are different. Like I don't feel like jilted when someone, um, when a professor doesn't finish something quickly or get back to an email because the expectations are just different to an American university where you're paying, um, like in some cases, you know, 70,000 plus for a year. Right. And they also don't get paid as much. Especially yeah. if they're not like professors, even, but just like, um, yeah. uh, what are they called? I can't think Docent? of the terms now. Lecture? Yeah, docenten. Um, like, uh, what are the people called that are like part of a Lehrstuhl? Like a TA, mm. you mean? No, I don't know. I don't mm. know. <laughs> this is not my world of expertise. See, that's also a big difference, though. Yeah. Like, this, these levels, it's more complicated than in the US. Yeah. yeah, like the structure of a university yeah. is very different. And most of yes. those people like that teach, they're usually like um, a doctorand, for example. So they're like a PhD candidate. And while they're doing their research or like post PhD yeah. or something, while they're doing their research, they are part of this Lehrstuhl. Um, so mm-hmm. of this like um, 
Yeah, I don't know what a Lehrstuhl is in English. <laughs> I don't even know. Blanking. I mean, I, I know the word, but I don't know what it is. It what basically exactly means the professor. Mini, yeah, mini department that's like created out of a hierarchy of professors. Yeah. So it's basically, basically like it's part of a department, but the Lehrstuhl is like this yeah. one professor, like what is their expertise? What is their yeah. focus that their research focuses on? And then they get other people that are underneath them. Anyways, let's uh, let's not get too too deep into that. But basically, yeah, a Lehrstuhl is like a a professor with their helpers and it's like yeah. this whole thing and it's part of a department. So basically it's Santa. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> but now, no, what I was trying to say is that like those people, for example, like they're mainly, yeah. I don't even know how well they get paid. They're mainly just yeah. there for their and they're own focus- Yeah, studies. they're focusing on their own research. You yeah. Know, they're not, their priorities are not teaching at that teaching. point, which makes that's, sense, yeah. That's like kind of one, one of the main things that a German university, even during your undergrad, I feel like undergrad and um, master's are much more similar in Germany than they are in the U.S. In the U.S. there's like, I feel like a pretty big difference between getting your undergrad and then going to grad school, which is like now you're in that academic track. And in Germany, I feel like this is all more or less like one thing. And I kind of completely lost track of what I was trying to say. I think, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel I, like we're getting, very, I don't know, interrupt me if you, if it comes back to you, but I feel like we're getting very much in the weeds of a lot Sorry. of technical yeah, jargon yes. of universities. And what I'm interested in is understanding the hard facts of how did you get into a German university? How did it work with the, the recognition of your American degree? Was, were there, how did that process look like? It was a bit of a tricky process because it's all, the timeline is just so different from American universities. So like you apply very late. So like, I think I, like I have a scholarship for, for this program. And I think I had the money before I even applied for Mm -hmm. the program because you apply just a few months before it starts, um, which already for an American system is so different. And you basically, if you have an American degree, you have to apply through like a third party website that they basically contract the work out to of collecting your foreign documents and you you submit very few documents actually so that's probably the biggest difference uh applying for an american university program versus a german program is the only thing they looked at were my grades like they didn't no rec letters no cv no um yeah, so they the only thing they knew about me was where I got my degree and what my grades were. So there's um, not like an application where you have to answer all of these questions or anything like that. It's no. just I mean, I filled out like a form with just like my information, yeah, just my name and things like that. So wow. was um, there a numerous clauses on your um, program, like a a grade, like a, a limit. limit? Yeah, yeah, there was a limit. Okay, yeah. so yeah, they don't that's let in we, everybody. That's usually like what we um, differentiate in Germany with is like there is uh, programs that are completely open. You can literally just go in and enroll and you have to pay your hundred whatever uh, euros fee for the semester um, and you just enroll. You just give them your information and hi, I would like to study this period. Um, Then there is um, programs that have an NC, as we say in Germany, and numerous clausus, where it means that you can only study this if your abitur note or whatever other final grade. I don't really know how they do this, if they like, which number they even use if you're American, but like usually in Germany, it's like your Abi note, if that is a certain grade. And So similar, and it would be similar to the American GPA that people look at, Yeah, I assume. Yeah. 
So like, yeah. for example, you can't really study medicine in Germany unless your Abinote is 1-0, so the, the best possible, which not a lot of people get that. Um, so that's one way. And that's been criticized a lot in Germany because that's just a very basic way of like determining whether someone is fit to study that. And like just because your grades were good in school doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good doctor or it doesn't mean you're going to be good in this profession. So that's been criticized a lot. Um, but another way of um, like Auswahlverfahren, another... An Auswahlverfahren. Selection mm -hmm. criteria. Select, yeah, so Yeah, another yeah, another like a way of selection that uh, some programs use is basically like a mix of those things. So like it's like a mix of your grade and then you also have to basically take a test that is specifically for that program. I had to do that with political science in Munich because I think that program was like pretty popular and they did that where you had to take a political science test to hmm. see if you have certain like knowledge in that field and if you fit if you're fit to study that for communications it was just a numerus clausus um and basically what they do is the more people apply like demand and um supply yes, so like yeah. the more people apply and th that compared to like the amount of um spots that they have the lower the nc goes and by lower yeah. i mean like more uh, difficult so yeah. I was only able to study that, even though it was not a difficult program at all. Communications is not difficult, but I was only to, uh, able to study that because I had a very good Abiturnote, so final grade. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's just like on the background of the German system, which is yeah. definitely different. Um, so yeah, back so, to you. So, We don't need a CV and everything. So, so essentially, Sarah, you had to submit your documents to this third-party organization that then translated them into the German system, did that cost you something or is that something, a service that the You, you have provides? to pay a fee for the application. I okay. want to say it was between $70 and $100. Okay. So, I mean, it's pretty much the standard fee you would apply, apply, like pay to apply for one school in the U.S. Yeah. Um, it's, it wasn't, I don't believe it was an enormous amount of money. But the stressful part is that they would say... Like, they wouldn't tell you if you had submitted the correct documentation until pretty much it was too late. Because the whole process oh. is just, like, very condensed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I also, like, didn't find out if I got into the program until, like, very shortly before it started. You know, mm -hmm. until, like, late in the summer. And yeah. it starts in October. So, it's the timeline is just very condensed. So, if, like, if I hadn't gotten in, like, I pretty much, yeah. it It's, that was a bit stressful. But other than that, it was fairly smooth and I didn't need a whole lot of documentation. So then you get into your program and like, I don't know, I'm just so intrigued by the being an American in the German education system because I have no relation to it. So you, <laughs> you get into the program and like your first day of classes, what does that even look like? Because I mean, at the, in the US you have obviously your campus and like, I feel like they hold your hand very much, like getting you like acquainted with the campus. I mean, I, I've heard of like the Erste Woche, but I think that's very much a bachelor's mm. thing. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but maybe you can talk about like your first couple uh, days or weeks starting at a German university. Um, well, I'm lucky in that my program, I think is like the absolute best program you could be in if you were um, an international student mm -hmm. in Germany, because everyone is kind of in the same boat. Everyone's looking to make friends. Um, very different than my experience, like in Bonn, for example, where, you know, people were more closed off. Like I found mm -hmm. it really easy to like make friends with people in my program. And also the classes that I take, I take some classes in the German history department, like just in the normal 
history department that's not associated with my program, my master's program. And in my experience, those classes are a lot more kind of closed off. But my program was like very, very social. They did an orientation for us. Like we all met each other and had drinks. And I feel like it was an easy landing. Okay, good <laughs> um, afghan. Yes, but but um, the first week was unique because I guess in Bonn, like I did experience like having to email professors, but I thought that was just unique to that time because I wasn't officially even enrolled in the university. Um, but it is true that here, yeah, you kind of go to you visit a bunch of classes in the first week and see which ones you like. And as an American who like likes to plan everything and have everything set beforehand, that was really stressful to me. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know my schedule like two months ahead of time. Um, that's so weird because that's the exact opposite of what I feel like the normal stereotypes are when it comes to Americans yeah. versus yeah. Germans in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was pretty chaotic. Like people are you know, because the the spots and the courses are very limited and then everyone just shows up at once and people will be sitting on the floor because there's not enough room, but like everyone just wants to see which classes they want to take. They're, it's like a sampling, which in the end is nice. Um, yeah, and you're basically emailing professors and people aren't on the list, and yeah, but it, it calms down then after the first few weeks and everyone settles into their routine. And then no one and goes they, to classes anymore. Yeah, and then they either do or don't go to class. No, usually for, I mean, for, if you're in a master's and you're in a seminar, you you do have to go. It was only for like a, the Vorlesung that it was, yeah. the lecture yeah. class that it was like that, yeah. I have one more thing to add from earlier. The thing about the um, paper slips that had to be signed and stuff, I did not experience that in my program at all. So yeah. I don't know if that is like a, thing that's different in every every program because I went to LMU what you said your friend went to yeah um, and I didn't experience that at all the only time I ever had to like get something like on a paper thing was like when I went to my study abroad in the U.S. and I needed something like yeah um big or something like mm -hmm. they needed to make a copy and then sign it off for me or something mm -hmm. like that other than that well, I never had it, to it could be that, that in the communications department they had the communications yeah down more, <laughs> more, more well figured out than in the history department <laughs> yeah maybe I'm, I'm still like a, I feel like none of my friends have ever um, told me about that except for like people who still study in the like older system of where it's mm -hmm. not the bachelor's and master's yet mm -hmm. in Germany but where it's like a Staatsexamen yeah um, which yeah is, I mean example, I, I had a professor say like at the beginning of the semester like all right guys I think it's all electronic this semester and then at the end he was like Duh. like <laughs> please bring me <laughs> please send me all your forms <laughs> oh damn um yeah. yeah like Staatsexamen in Bavaria is still like becoming a teacher for example that's basically just a different type of diploma like it, it has a whole different structure I think in other states of Germany it's it's not like becoming a teacher is actually um a bachelor's now ah, okay. but yeah. also um like law uh, law um, for example yeah mm -hmm. One other thing that I wanted to talk to you about or that we wanted to talk to you about was getting some tips for those who are interested in possibly going to Germany and studying. Um, you're the perfect person, uh, no pressure, to give some <laughs> tips to people. So what would you say are a few things that you've learned from your experience that you would share with people who are wanting to do something similar? My number one tip would be look into funding. So the DAAD, Deutsche Akademische Austauschdienst, gives a lot of funding to like foreign students from all over to study in Germany. And like, it's really an amazing program. So definitely look into that. That's my number one tip. But in order to do that, you should have already found programs that you are interested in. So yeah, search for programs that are in your 
target language. I think it would be quite difficult in anything other than, well, honestly, I can't speak about, I don't know what it's like to study something else here. Um, but basically just try to find a program that's in the language that you can speak, which will probably be the, the most limiting factor, I would guess. And also one without, like Feli was talking about, like without um, an exam that you need to have passed. And after that, look for the requirements, find the third party website, submit your documents. I think there's, there's nothing follow more to the say. Rules. Follow the <laughs> rules. Definitely follow the rules. I know somebody who applied for like my master's program, another like American who does live in Berlin now doing something else, but she applied for a master's program and she didn't get in because she submitted uh, one of the wrong documents. Mm. So they really, they, you really do have to submit the, the documents that are on the list that they tell you to submit. Like triple check everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you talk about funding. So what do you mean by funding, I guess? Because obviously we were talking about tuition and that's not like necessarily a real thing mm. or concern here in Germany. So what does that funding look like? And what are your opportunities to make money to be able to live off of? Um, maybe that also plays into what you mean by funding. But I mean, f from my perspective as an American, I used to work and go to university at the same time. Um, mm. I know that there's oftentimes with various Aufenthaltstitel, uh, residency permits, restrictions on what you're allowed to do job-wise and make money. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well. So DAAD gives you like a living stipend basically every month. Um, they'll also pay for your plane ticket, um, give you a study allowance. So that's a great option if you're qualified to apply. Um, if you're, I think either way, whether you have that or not, you are allowed to work like a mini job here. So you can make up to, I think it's around 500 euros would be what you could expect to earn for your mini job. Per month um, and you're kind of limited I think in the kinds of jobs you can get but you can do like any kind of service job or if you work for the university you're a lot more flexible so I know if you work for the university you can work for more hours and make more money mm -hmm. um, so that's always a good option and uh, in my experience with my friends they've had good luck getting jobs working for professors. Yeah that's something that I think we haven't really explained in this episode yet is that I mean you kind of mentioned it briefly Josh but like German universities don't really have that whole campus that comes with it so like yeah. you don't really have the dorms or like a, just a campus in general it's more like usually a building or like even if a German university dev has does have like a campus with several buildings it's usually just those buildings that have the classrooms and the library and maybe a cafeteria and things like that. But other than that, there's not going to be no football stadium or soccer stadium or sports stadium in general. There's going to be no like dorms that belong to the university. Um, there is going to be no like restaurants that are like part of the campus, really, or at least I don't think I've really seen that. I don't know how it is at the university in Berlin, but it's just like a very different experience. So like when you just said working for the university, because it's kind of similar to um, how it is as an exchange student in the US. Like when I was an exchange student, I um, was able to 
work on campus. I didn't do it, but that would have been allowed. And that yeah. a lot of people did that. And that mean, uh, meant that they would work for Starbucks on campus mm, or yeah. for like one of those restaurants on campus or uh, at, at the stadium or like there's so many different jobs or like at the bookstore, like the shop, the like merch yeah. shop basically of the university. Um, and I feel like in Germany that just has, that means something very different. That is usually, as you said, you work for the professor. So like you're usually yeah. a heavy a Hilfswissenschaftler. Yeah, the people who work in supporting positions around campus where there are those positions, I don't think they're students. So like in the cafeterias, it's not student workers. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert in this, but I kind of doubt that that would count towards your yeah. visa mm -hmm. in the same yes. way that it would in the US. So that's all like a little bit different there. Um, I mean, how, how do you how do you like that difference with the campus? I think actually, like um, in Berlin, if you study in Dahlem, there is a kind of a Western style campus because I think they okay. actually styled it off of Western style campuses because I believe that was had to do with um, almost Cold War politics, like modeling the campus off of. I mean, it was called the Free University, so you mm -hmm. kind of get an idea. Um, so I think it's unique within Germany in how okay. it looks. Um, I've still, never visited not, it, so... Still, like, the... It's nothing compared to Ohio State, for example, where it's basically an entire city, um, and there's 60,000 students there all the time. Yeah. Um, so I definitely sometimes think about the perks of living on a giant college campus, but honestly, I get pretty much everything I need. I, I love the cafes associated with the university. Mm -hmm. They're great. They're super inexpensive. The food at the Mensa there's is honestly better than what I had at Ohio State, even though there's a lot less of a selection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't really miss it. Maybe the one thing that was really nice was like at Ohio State, there were like really nice gyms that were free to belong to and um, like classes that you could do any time of day. And like that just doesn't exist here. Yeah, that's maybe the only thing that I would really miss because all the, all the other things I think are easy to find, mm -hmm. like green spaces where everyone's lying around or, um, yeah, the cafeteria atmosphere, those things I, are still possible to get here, I think. Okay. Because you're living in a cool city and not Columbus. No hate on Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. You get all the perks of the city in return. Yeah. Um, okay, so back to the tips. So we talked about funding. Um, do you have any tips about finding housing? Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing about living in Berlin, actually, by a long shot, is the housing market here is really tough, mm -hmm. um, as I'm sure it is. I think, Josh, you've talked about that in Munich before, that it's also quite difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that that is tricky. And you basically have to make it your full time job. At least in my experience, I had to make it my full time job for like a week and a half, two weeks until I was able to find something. Whereas in Vienna, it was quite easy. How, like say, I, say that again. I didn't hear how long. How long did you oh, say? Oh, like one and a half to two weeks of like really, like really mm -hmm. dedicated, really trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like at a moment's notice, just like being available to go across the city to look at an apartment, like that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in Vienna, I within that time was able to find like six apartments. You know, mm -hmm. that would be like, yes, we'll take you. Whereas in Berlin, it was like, you feel lucky when you, when you yeah. find something. 
people in Munich sometimes look for like six months or so. Yeah, but I don't know if they do it. Yeah, I don't know if they do it as intensely as you did. Well, uh, hard, I think it's also it's different. It's different if you want your own apartment because yeah. like, if I had wanted to find my own apartment, my own contract, that would have been much more difficult because there's a lot more paperwork involved. But if you were looking for an apartment with a roommate and you're just looking to move into an an apartment that's already under contract under someone else's name, I think yeah. oh. it's easier for a foreigner to do that. Yeah. So yeah, that makes rather sense. than having to have all the forms yourself to so do your that, own contract. Does that mean that you found where you're living then through like something like Vege Gesucht or what yeah, resources used, did you I, use? Yeah, I used Vege Gesucht, yeah. Okay. I feel like that's like the main website that we yeah, always yeah. mention. So I guess if you're yeah. ever trying to move to Germany for your studies or anything else, I think, yeah. and you're trying to uh, move into an apartment with roommates, Wege yeah. Gesucht is kind of yeah. the way to go. My main strategy was to find a temporary sublease for one month, which mm-hmm. is usually a lot easier to find. because, yeah. And then once you move into that temporary sublease, then start really looking for an apartment. Mm-hmm. That's going to be long term because... Mm-hmm. You really, it helps so much if you're in the city already and you can go meet them and you're going to have a way better shot. So get like a temporary sublease and then find your long-term place. Yeah. And I 100% agree with it. That was my strategy as well. I lived in my first place for three months and then found my long-term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that way you get the added bonus of like meeting people in the city first, seeing which neighborhoods you like. All right. Perfect all Before committing to like a long-term lease or something like that. The good thing is in Germany, usually like leases are unlimited i mean that can be good or bad but at least like it's not like um in other countries where the lease is automatically limited to a year and then you have to go through that whole thing once a year once you find something it's usually a little bit more permanent so you don't have to go through that whole trouble again um Mm -hmm. in a year one other question i had was how do you like the structure of the semesters because you kind of mentioned it earlier that it like it starts at a different point in time in Germany Um, and it's like compared to the U.S. for example you technically have three semesters throughout the year where you have your fall semester from like August through like Christmas then there's like a short Christmas break of maybe four weeks or something like that at least that's how it was at the University of Cincinnati. And I think it's fairly similar at most other universities in the U.S. Then after Christmas, you go right into the spring semester and that goes through like the end of April or like early May or something like that. And then you have like the summer term or summer semester that most people have off where like it's summer break to Americans, where it's like a three month long break in Germany. That is very different. There's only two semesters every year, the winter semester and the summer semester. And um Those semesters come with like a few months, I think like three to four months of like Vorlesungszeit where you actually have classes. And then there is like Semesterferien, so like (laughs) semester break um, where you're you're technically off classes. But in a lot of programs, that's when you actually write your papers. So instead of writing your papers throughout the actual semester like you do in the U.S. and I think most other countries, you then like do that work during your break. And actually, before you answer... Um, we haven't done anything in German yet. Should we maybe like do this this little part in German? Sure. Okay. I mean, um, fine with me. Up to you, Sarah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ich habe die Frage ja gerade schon auf Englisch gesagt. Ich glaube, jeder hat's einigermaßen verstanden. Ja. Wie wie ist das für dich? Findest du es besser, schlechter? Kommst du damit klar? Mm, okay. Also, also am Anfang dachte ich, okay, super. Ich habe jetzt zwei Monate Ferien und dann ähm, und ich schaffe es einfach die Hausarbeit also während des Semesters zu schreiben. Aber im Endeffekt hat es einfach nicht geklappt. Mhm. Und also ich musste dann doch 
ähm, die Arbeit schreiben, also nach dem Semester quasi. Aber ich, ich finde es im Allgemeinen schon okay, wenn man mhm. vorher weiß, okay, das ist, das ist nicht einfach komplett Ferien, das ist nicht komplett Pause, also ich mhm. muss schon was tun. Und ähm, was ich ein bisschen schade finde, ist, ähm, dass man auch also nicht während des Semesters super viel schreibt. Also in meinem Programm, man schreibt dann nicht so viel und dann, dann am Ende kommt ein großes Projekt und mhm. dann das war's. Also das ist auch ähm, die Note einfach. Also diese eine Hausarbeit, das ist halt alles, was man schreibt und das ist schon sehr viel Druck, finde ich. Ähm, wenn man als Student ähm, nur ein, eine Note hat ja. für ein Seminar und alles. Und ja, aber trotzdem, naja, ich finde es find's okay. Ja, ich finde es auch schön, dass ich also im Sommer hier in Berlin, Berlin bin und dass man auch hier während des Sommers bleibt. Mhm. Also weil normalerweise im Sommer fahren alle irgendwo hin für Ferien oder nach Hause. Und also weil man auch ähm, im Sommer hier studiert, dann muss man eigentlich hier bleiben und ja, so mal erfahren. Das finde ich schön. Ja. Das, das ist auf jeden Fall was anderes. Aber, also ich frage mich, wusstest du schon, worauf du dich einlässt in diesem Sinne, beziehungsweise hast du dich gut vorbereitet auf das andere System gefühlt? Im ersten Semester, da heißt es dann Semesterferien und dann denkst du, uh, ich muss jetzt nichts machen. Ähm, und dann, dann hast du so deinen Oh-Shit-Moment, wo du dir denkst, shit, okay, was, was habe ich jetzt Falsches gemacht, jetzt musst du was nachholen. Wusstest du schon, dass das kommt und dass es das anders ist? Oder was war das eher so learning by doing? Und das ist voll denglisch, was ich jetzt rede, aber... <lacht> also ich wusste das schon, aber dann, man... Aber im Endeffekt weiß man das nicht, weil man muss es einfach erfahren und schauen, mhm. was man schaffen kann. Und ich habe es einfach nicht geschafft, also die Arbeit... Ähm, in Vorlesungszeit sch zu schreiben. Also so war es einfach. Und ich ja. dachte, ja sicher, ja, sicher schaffe ich das. Also mhm. ich habe immer viel mehr geschrieben als nur eine Arbeit und jetzt muss ich nur eine Arbeit schreiben. Und, ähm, und zwar, ja, das, das schaffe ich, aber habe ich nicht gemacht. Und ich glaube, viele anderen ähm, hatten auch die, eine ähnliche Erfahrung, dass das ein bisschen unerwartet war, wie schwierig es war, diese einzige Arbeit zu schreiben. Und vielleicht war es auch, ähm, weil ich jetzt im Master studiere und nicht im Bachelor, dass einfach die Erwartungen anders sind. Und ähm, also für mich war es auch neu, also eine Arbeit, die auch auf ähm, originale ähm, Recherche ähm, passiert ist. Also ja. das, das, hab, das hatte ich nur für mein, ähm, meine Bachelorarbeit gemacht. Also nicht einfach so, also eine, eine Semesterarbeit so zu schreiben, dass ich im, im Archiv recherchieren musste. Also das habe ich nie gemacht. Und ja. jetzt muss ich ähm, echt sagen, dass für diese, für diese, für diese Arbeit muss man schon mehr machen. Und ich glaube mhm. einfach generell in Deutschland sind die Erwartungen ein bisschen höher, ähm, wenn es um so Arbeitleistungen geht. Ja. Ähm, auch ähm, im Seminar, also was man, ähm, also Teilnahme und alles, ich glaube, die Erwartungen sind einfach ein bisschen höher. Also man muss, man muss ähm, besser vorbereitet ähm, herkommen. 
Also in meiner Erfahrung, ja. ja. Also das mit den Hausarbeiten, das kann ich auch so aus dem Bachelorstudium auch bestätigen in Deutschland, dass man da eigentlich immer, also auch teilweise für Hausarbeiten halt eine Studie oder sowas durch, durchgeführt ja. hat. Also vielleicht jetzt keine super große, sondern was Kleineres, ja. aber dass man schon auch dafür wirklich ähm, Daten erhoben hat oder halt irgendwas ja. durchgeführt hat. Nicht nur jetzt irgendwie eine Literaturzusammenfassung sozusagen, ja, dass genau. man einfach nur mhm. was zusammenfasst, sondern man musste schon irgendwie ein richtiges Thema haben. Es, wurde, es war auch immer wichtig, dass das Thema auch erstmal approved wird, also dass es wirklich ja. wissenschaftlich relevant ist und so. Stimmt. Wir hatten auch damals am Anfang, Anfang vom Bachelor ähm, so, ich glaube, ich, glaub, ich hatte sogar in beiden Fächern, also in Kommunikationswissenschaft und in Politik, jeweils so ein wissenschaftliches Arbeiten-Seminar, also wo man das ganze Semester nur gelernt hat, wie man richtig wissenschaftlich arbeitet. Im ersten mhm. Semester. Ja. Ähm, also das würde ich auch so bestätigen, auch aus dem Bachelor. Ja. Das habe ich auch vorher gemeint. Ich habe das Gefühl, dass einfach in Deutschland der Unterschied zwischen Bachelor und Master nicht so groß ist. Also ich habe das mhm. Gefühl, der Bachelor in Deutschland ist schon eher ein bisschen angehobener. Also da sind die Erwartungen mhm. sehr ähnlich wie im Master. Dafür ist der Unterschied da nicht mehr so groß. Also wenn du in Deutschland deinen ja, Bachelor machst und dann weiter studierst im Master, dann ist es eigentlich ja. das Gleiche. Du machst halt dann mhm. nur... Einfach das ist keine ein große Umstellung mehr. dann. Genau, ja. es ist nicht so eine große Umstellung. Ja. Du machst halt einfach nur weiter. Mhm. Ähm, wohingegen ja, und, das ja. in den USA wirklich ein großer Unterschied ist, finde ich. Und ich habe auch, also wie du gesagt hast, ist es ist auch wichtig, also mit, dem, mit den Professorinnen ähm, also zusammen ein Thema ähm, auszusuchen. Und mhm. das hatte ich auch nie erfahren, dass jemand mir gesagt hat, also nee, also das Thema geht nicht. Mhm. Und das habe ich ja schon mehrmals erfahren, dass sie sehr spezifische Erwartungen haben, also auch wenn es um ein Thema geht ja. und dass man nicht, nicht immer so kreativ sein kann mit dem Thema. Es muss, ja, sie, sie wollen, dass, dass es irgendwie eine Zusammenarbeit ist, dass also beide Seiten zufrieden sind am Ende. Und ja. ja, das war für mich auch neu. Also niemand in den USA hat das mhm. was drüber gesagt. Mhm. Man kann mir über alles schreiben. Ja. Sehr, sehr spannend. Shall we switch back to English? We should. <laughs> okay, so um, what we talked about, I think, was mainly just the whole um, semester break thing, how Sarah said that that was a little bit definitely unexpected and more work than she expected, um, especially considering that she used to write several papers throughout a semester in the U.S., but it was just more work than she expected, maybe also because it was a master's, but we also kind of talked about how the expectations might be just higher for those kinds of papers in Germany in general, even during your bachelor's in, in Germany, that you even have to do your own research, maybe even conduct a study or a survey, things like that, even for just a what we call Hausarbeit, so like a just a semester paper um, in Germany. And I just basically confirmed that from my own experience, getting my bachelor's in Germany, how we had to do that basically for every paper um, and how we even had full courses throughout the whole semester that just taught us how to work. I don't know how to translate wissenschaftliches Arbeiten. You can't say how to work scientifically, but how to... Um, academic like, academic work or yeah, acad yes yeah. thank you academic research i think or academic yeah, yeah work um, how to do that properly what the methods yeah. are and we also talked about how sarah has been denied a few topics that she suggested because the professors weren't happy with that and that's the thing that i also experienced where like the topic always has to have like academic relevance and research relevance it has to fill a gap that hasn't been filled before um, so that's like all something that i think you have to expect if you study in Germany, especially if it's like a social um, program or like a humanity program as compared to like um, 
engineering, I think that's yeah. a yeah. little bit different in those in those yeah, fields. I'm I'm realizing this this episode is completely out of my wheel wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, there's but so much it. to talk about, but I think we're gonna um, have to wrap it up here soon because of course, um, as per usual, we've been going for a while, and I'm just sweating my ass off because it is very hot here in Cincinnati, and I have my AC off, and I don't think I could take it any longer. <laughs> um, but is there anything else that you would like to mention, Sarah, for our audience, for us? The stage Culturally. is yours. Yeah. Could be a culture difference that you would like to point out or something that you really love about Berlin or something about the university systems, whatever. Something that I love about Berlin is how green the streets are. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly hadn't realized this because also the last time I was here was in the winter. But um, in the springtime, I was just shocked by like how many and how large the trees are on the streets here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really beautiful and not, not something you would like necessarily expect from a city like Berlin. But even compared to Vienna, which does have like good green space around the city, Berlin just has so much green space like mm-hmm. within the city itself. So I love that. That's awesome. And definitely if you're going to visit, visit in the spring or the summer. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's my um, general advice for all of Germany usually. I know there is people who like Germany in the winter, but like yeah. I can't really get behind that. I feel like everything, <laughs> if it's gray and cold, everything's just going to be a little bit less impressive than when you come there like on a summer day with the sun shining and as you said all the green spaces. Um, so that's my general advice for anyone who wants to visit Germany. But yeah, that's actually a great point to um, point out. I I feel like Munich is definitely more like that too. Yeah. Um, that I can't w- really compare it to Berlin, but... That's always been my quote-unquote complaint about Vienna is that it is a very green city around the city, but in the yeah. city, besides like maybe the Prata, like it's not super, yeah. super green. No. Whereas here in Munich, everything is very green. And then I know that Berlin has a lot of those avenues with so many beautiful trees. And, yeah. Um, There's so. like parks everywhere in German cities in general. I feel oh, like yeah. um, it's which, shocking. Like, I miss parks. that. I miss that in Cincinnati a little bit. Like even yeah. though there are parks, but I would have to drive to them. It's not yeah. like there is like a little neighborhood park at every corner that I can just like go to. Yeah. And I'm glad that I don't have a dog. But like it's really nice having a dog in Germany for that exact reason yeah. too, because you always have like nice spaces to walk through. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of off topic. Um, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge about the university system today, Sarah. That was very interesting, even for me, even though I thought I knew quite a bit about both systems. Um, But there was still like the paper thing. That's that's really shocking to me. I feel very embarrassed now that that's (laughs) all thing. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think we are known for that in our bureaucracy in general, that everything is still on paper. But I feel like at universities, you're kind of supposed to have like the smart oh, no. people there. <laughs> no, Faley, you would be so surprised. I work in tech. No, Germany is very, 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 very far behind. <laughs> Not in the fields that I worked in. I don't know. I don't know like where that happened because like I worked in many different. Jobs I mean, the med- that medical never field happened. is also horrible. Yeah, when that, it comes yeah. to technology, uh, yeah, when it comes to digitization, yeah. at least. That's yeah, true too. that's yeah, true. But like all my jobs that I ever worked in, like, as I said, in my bachelor's experience, I never had to do that at all. And like, but I, I must have just been really lucky. So um, yeah. that is very, very sad. Anyways, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for being yes, on the thank podcast, you, Sarah. Sarah.
And um, you guys, of course, we hope you enjoyed it. If you have a follow-up question um, for us or for Sarah, you can leave that in the comments below on YouTube or you can message us at understandingtrainstation at gmail.com or message us on Instagram, just at understandingtrainstation. Also, follow us on there. Maybe I should take a quick picture. Every time I say this, I'm like, maybe I should post something for Instagram. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't really post a whole lot on Instagram up until like the point where we record something for an episode and I'm like, yes. oh wait, Instagram content. <laughs> um, yeah, you can follow us in there and you can even support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash understandingtrainstation. Give us a little monthly donation, become a supporter. You get things in return, of course. You get some behind the scenes in, uh, insights and you can also hang out with us in like a video call like we're on right now basically um, once a month on like Google Hangouts it's like a little Patreon session that we do um, so if you want to talk to us share an experience with us ask us questions you can do that on there that's all I have to say thank you guys so much for listening and for watching and we will be back in, in two weeks on Thursday Fiat und Baba Servus Wiederschauen Wiederschauen